fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, you're joined right it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday, the greatest day of the entire week, baby. That's the way we roll, setting the tone for the weekend. Let's have some fun. Boy, do we have a heck of a show lined up for you today. I don't know how we're going to cram all this in, but we will do our darndest to make it all happen. So welcome into it. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. We love you to death. Appreciate you very, very much. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day programming announcement just to give you a heads up as you very well know because we've only been talking about it for a couple of days now or so but tomorrow i am super excited stay tuned in on our social media our website at hoosierreason.com other places as well but stay tuned in as we are ready to launch our very first nationally syndicated weekend edition of the voice of reason with our friends with americans for prosperity with our partners in salem radio network in the distribution It's happening, baby, tomorrow. Radio stations all around will announce some of those as we go on that will be carrying the program. And I have to be careful because we have a few that are interested that are going to be doing it but have not yet officially signed on the dotted line to make it happen. So they may be uh, joining over the next few weeks, and we are super excited about that. So more information coming up, but I am ready, baby. Let's make this happen. This is what every talk show host is ready to do is jump on that satellite, jump on the bird, and make it happen nationwide. We are doing that starting tomorrow with our new two-hour weekend edition of The Voice of Reason, and you can find more information on our website at HoosierReason.com. All right, welcome into it. We got a lot to get to today for a Friday for the stations that are carrying this program right here and right now. Bottom of the hour, we have Alex Revchin. He is the author of the book, The Seven Deadly Myths, Anti-Semitism from Christ to Kanye West. Say what? Whoa, that's a, that's a wild, wild title. So we'll talk about domestic terrorism, we'll talk about anti-Semitism, hate crimes in the nation, the hate speech bill that was tried to be passed from the left side of the aisle just a couple years ago, and a heck of a lot more. We have him at the bottom of the hour. I don't know if you realize this, or no, uh, though, with our What's Trending story of the day. What's trending today? Is that today, I'm sorry, tomorrow, the 24th. June 24th of 2022, our one-year anniversary of the reversal of Roe v. Wade from the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. Whoa. Whoa, already, man. Yeah, it's been uh, long and coming. And now that we see the battles going on at the statewide levels all over the nation regarding abortion, do we legalize it? Do we not legalize it? Do we put some more restraints on it? What about telemedicine abortions? It's a major issue that's really been brought down to the conversation again. And while... We have a hard time sometimes as conservatives talking about social issues. This is definitely the biggest one. And the Democrats and Joe Biden and the progressives have made this a focal point for themselves during Pride Month with the push for the LGBTQ community and for the abortion issue altogether, uh, trying to focus with Joe Biden promising that he will restore Roe v. Wade at the federal level and uh, promise to protect abortions on a national scale eliminating all the quote-unquote hate speech bills and the hate bills and the anti-women bills and the anti-women health bills all over across the nation from states that have wanted to ban it. 
Now, each state's handled this issue differently, and it's been interesting to see how those debates have gone, and hopefully we can find some type of quote-unquote unified mentality from Republicans and Republican legislatures in different states uh, to uh, handle this issue on a uh, front. So to talk about that and more, we sat down with her just a little bit ago, but she is the president of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America organization fighting for the pro-life movement across the country. It's the president of the organization, Marjorie Denefelser, as we sat down with her just a short time ago. And this is what she had to say right here on The Voice of Reason for a Friday. Marjorie, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on very much. What a world we live in today. We never, I got to admit, I never thought that we would see first the reversal of Roe v. Wade from the Supreme Court with how, quote-unquote, progressive we've seen the courts over the last few years. So it was a big win, but it's kind of left us in an interesting situation now, hasn't it? Yeah, well, it, it was a, <clears throat> a big win. It took uh, uh, quite a matchup. It had to be a pro-life majority Senate, a pro-life president who would fulfill promises, a, um, three justices, uh, you know, in one president's uh, term, and then the perfect case from Mississippi uh, for the court to test. So, it was, you know, that, that lining up of stars um, was uh, certainly a fruit of a, of a lot of work, but then also just um, the right place, right time, and then a really strong muscle from the pro-life movement to make sure that all those things happen. But as you say, what that is now is that that has produced for us a starting line. We've just begun. Now, the wheels of democracy are moving. Uh, there, uh, it is out of the hands of judges. It's in the hands of the people, speaking through their elected representatives. And within one year, almost half the nation has passed a very strong protections for unborn children and committed to serving mothers in the way that they need in a growing and flourishing group of programs, public and private, for women serving women who find themselves uh, in need uh, in a crisis pregnancy. Yeah. So that's a, that is a lot in one year. After 50 years of working to get there, we've got a lot to be uh, happy about. Uh, and I can tell you, the other side is completely spun up. <laughs> and uh, and so the, the game is on. And not a game, but, uh, but it is definitely... Um, an intense uh, place out there. Well, it's a game of chess for sure, uh, politically-wise, because they find every way to try to create a narrative that women aren't getting the health care that they need, quote-unquote, and I use that in air quotes because we know that that's not technically uh, health care in some way, shape, or form, but they're using that as the argument of as soon as they reversed Roe v. Wade at the federal level, they were saying how people were so confused and how women in Texas were dying in the streets literally because they couldn't get the care that they actually needed. The, the fear tactics and the politics that was played was honestly really sickening to see how they played this, and they still keep it up just a year later. Well, one thing it wasn't and isn't is centered on the real needs of women because in Texas and in everywhere – they are, they were vested in being confused, that vested in being confused that they could communicate to the world that they were confused. But the law itself was certainly not confusing. Um, the law itself uh, requires uh, protection of women from uh, anything that that, it, that threatens her her health. Yeah. And so, if it's an ectopic pregnancy, be not confused. Save the woman's life. Unfortunately, means the child would not have lived anyway. So there's a lot of examples like that. And, and the lack of focus on, on woman, the woman as the center of the project along with her child is, um, is what we see in what the abortion lobby offers to women at a moment um, in a dark place in her life. So opposite of what is offered by the 3,000 3, pregnancy care centers across the country 
and many new programs that governors are signing into law along with strong limits on abortion. Um, so it's a, it's justice and mercy for the baby, justice and mercy for the mom. They go hand in hand. Uh, and that is something that the public in general has not been treated to for 50 years, um, that beautiful uh, task. And so it will change us, and it will change us in ways, and there will be some growing pains. But one thing is for sure is that left and right agree now that 60,000 children will live and not die so far based on laws passed. Yeah. And um, and the women who are their mothers will be served in ways that they've never been served before, perhaps getting them out of cycles of poverty, abusive relationships, um, addiction, or just a financial crisis or difficulty, whatever, in a way that affirms the life of her child and herself. Amen to that. It is a great first step, and we love seeing that. We're talking with Marjorie Dannenfelser. She's the president of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, which you can find online at sbaprolife.org. Uh, let's talk about the next battle. What's the next step in this? Because now that states are starting to decide how they want to handle this issue on a statewide level. I live in Kansas, where our flagship radio station is, and we had the very first uh, election after the reversal last year. Uh, that uh, that decided whether our Supreme Court in the state was actually going to decide uh, whether abortion was a constitutional right or not, which surprisingly here in Kansas, even where we're at in middle America, we voted to uphold the Kansas Supreme Court's power to decide, which they said was a constitutionally protected right. So we're kind of the safe haven for abortion right now in Kansas compared to some of the other mid-America regions. But Missouri's banned it. Other states are working to ban it. But we have that issue. We have the telemedicine issue with telemedicine abortion right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the next step in this battle on the state levels across the nation right now? There, uh, I know Kansas, and I know it's not over in Kansas, um, though that was a painful, painful um, defeat. It certainly does not reflect the will of the people of Kansas. So, so that's not over. But similar battles, of course, are going on in other states all over the country, and that is the um, abortion lobby Moving into nine states, they have decided to try to inject abortion into those state constitutions. They require changes in those constitutions in order to overturn their newly enacted pro-life laws. That is an enormous battle, and the first of those is in Ohio, who has a heartbeat bill, and that'll be this this year election. So November 7th, I believe it is, is the election this year. So there's, that's important. Of course, you know, expanding where we can now, one year later, uh, a lot of them, the states that we are looking at are, are kind of purpley states. So the uh, protections are, will not be able to be potentially as strong, even though we'll be as ambitious as we can, and as we are actually pressing for um, creative and powerful help for moms. Also, looking to the federal elections, the presidential race, we're going to be right in the middle of primaries. We already are on the Republican side. And so what we require of these primary candidates running for the president of the United States is vital. It is a top priority. If they think they don't have a job to do, then they should not qualify to be the president of the United States from the eyes of the pro-life movement. So uh, making sure that they describe what their minimum federal standard would be past which states should not go is really important. That states can do be as bold as they can be, but California's got to at least abide by some humane standard at some place. So that those two things are are vitally important, and in, in, in addition to the service to moms. 
programs that we and other organizations are involved in. Yeah, amen to that. Last question for you is I know the Democrats on the other side, this is really one of their sweet spot issues. It's identity politics, it's the social issues, it's the dividing of the uh, the family unit, uh, which this is a major portion of that one. Obviously, they're going to try in some way, shape, or form. Are they going to try, do you think, to reinstate some other version of Roe v. Wade at a federal level unless we stop them with the elections? Well, you know, you just actually said what probably the most important thing I should have said before is, yes, it is their top priority to pass a federal law that would wipe out every single pro-life protection. Um, of course, they don't think that moms need anything other than the abortion, so they're not they're not proposing any other programs going along with that. <laughs> Planned Parenthood is not. Um, and they will require the the um, eliminating of the filibuster in the Senate, which they will they have all said they're very happy to do. So that means after all this work, after fifty years of getting to the starting line, it would it if that passed, it would be like Dobbs never even happened. Yeah. Um, abortion on demand, up into the end, paid for by taxpayers in every single state in the country, and that's why the presidency and the Congress matter so much. Um, com- you know, moving into twenty twenty four. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a major issue, and we have to stay on top of this one because every time we take a breath and we take a step back is when they take a step forward and they end up implementing, and it's a battle all over again. You can find them online, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, online at sbaprolife.org. We appreciate the time very much, Marjorie. Keep up the fight. Let's get you back on the show again real soon, my friend. Oh, God bless you, and thank you for having me. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Friday, baby. Getting you set up. We are one week away from 4th of July, the most patriotic holiday of the entire year, the greatest holiday of the entire year. We get to see fireworks going off. And I have to say, personally, I'm kind of happy because there are, I'm hearing word from all over the country, multiple cities that have previously banned fireworks like the big ones. You know, the American ones, not the little bitty, oh, you can't have it, the little shower that only goes like five or six feet tall. Hell with that, man. I want the big booms. And what it sounds like is that there are cities across the nation that are actually legalizing those now and allowing people to shoot them off this year like they have not before. Here in Wichita, where I'm based out of, in Kansas, we have had that ban for years. And law enforcement and fire departments always go around and say, we're going to punish you, we're going to fine you, don't you worry, we're going to get you. And it gets worse and worse every single year. So this year, finally, they're like, all right, you know what? Just go ahead and do it, man. Just nothing past like midnight or 1 a.m. and nothing past July 4th. You can do it all weekend starting on July 1st all the way through the all the way through the 4th of July. Do your thing, man. Just uh, don't go past a certain night. Be a little courteous, which is what we're all about. Let's have some common sense. Be a little courteous for everybody. What do you say? Thanks again to uh, Marjorie Denenfelser. She's the president of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. It is wild to think that we're already a year into the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And guess what? Unlike what the other side has tried to claim, people are not dying in the streets because of a lack of, quote-unquote, health care, which, sorry, it's not... It's not happening. Now, you can try to say that, but, Bernie, you say it best, man. It is totally absurd. That is totally absurd. 
Now, it's weird to me that they use that as like their number one issue. Social issues, man. We're coming to the end of Pride Month. Thank God. Not because I don't care about someone's stuff, but because I really don't care about your sexual identity or you, what you feel or what you identify as. I just don't care. So the fact that we've had to go through an entire month of shoving this down our throats day in and day out, and then they still claim, there's still headlines, still people out there today saying that it's a human rights issue and how it's a struggle just to survive in society as a member of the LGBTQ community. I think we've taken, I think... Honestly, we've taken the victimization mentality a little bit too far. As far as I'm aware, now correct me if I'm wrong, and if there's a specific situation or scenario where something has happened because people are going out of their way to abuse, to violently harm, or to harass in any way, shape, or form people of that community, then I stand with you in opposition to that because that is wrong. However, you don't need to come and flash it in front of me. You don't need to tell me about what you identify as or what you feel. Uh, You don't need to tell me who you are attracted to. You don't need to go around and flound it by being over-exaggerated with your expressions. You don't need to do that. That is not normal uh, way that we actually communicate as a society, you don't need to do that. There's no reason for that. Everybody's got their own little characteristics on how they operate. That is their personality. That's cool. But when it's overboard because you're trying to emphasize a point, then you're going just a little bit too far and it's completely absurd and unnecessary. There's zero reason for that to happen. So uh, we're coming to the end of Pride Month, thank goodness, and we're going into the greatest pride that we have in the whole year, which is the 4th of July and Independence Day, because guess what? We have a unified flag for everyone that is the United States of America flag. We have patriotism and pride for everyone, which is being proud of the greatest nation on the face of the earth, whether we like some of the stuff that's happening or not. Even with all of our flaws and all of our history and some of the mistakes that we've made, we still live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to remind others of that. And we need to be prideful of that for a new Pride Month that needs to be a patriotic pride. Nationalism, which is another triggering word for the other side. Nationalism. Being proud of your country. It's okay to be a nationalist and be proud of your nation. Not a white supremacist nationalist. Not a black supremacist nationalist. Not a weird identity politics nationalist. But an American nationalist. I love my country. And we still could kick anybody else's butt in the world. Not that we want to, but that we have the capability of doing so, so that way no one messes with us. Alex Refchin, when we come back right around the corner, we'll talk about some of that hate speech in the nation. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yeah, darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Moving through a Friday today. Halfway through the show already. It goes by way too fast. Way too fast, which is why, well, we're going to have more content here soon, starting tomorrow. I saw, by the way, a listener on our Opslens Facebook team. Facebook, they have their Getter, their YouTube, their Facebook, their Tweety, their Twitch.tv, other places as well. Uh, we appreciate them streaming the show. They've been awesome partners with us. We love it. But uh, uh, listener coming out of Tennessee, uh, we will be broadcasting in Tennessee starting tomorrow. Our weekend nationally syndicated program out of KWAM, baby, the mighty 990 
out of Memphis, Tennessee. And you'll be able to hear us on Saturday evenings on that program. It's a, our two-hour national show there. So pretty awesome. We appreciate them picking us up. We'll have more uh, announcements with the stations coming up soon. All right, we're going to give this a try. Uh, it's been a while since we've done uh, something off of Zoom, and hopefully we have everything all set up the way it's supposed to be. So let's see if we have our What's Trending what's Today. What's Trending Today. As we shift gears just a little bit and go into uh, an interesting conversation for sure. And as you know, uh, there's a lot of conversation right now about division and hate speech and domestic terrorism. We hear that from the Biden administration quite a bit about what domestic terrorism is and we need to stop it. And it's predominantly like the MAGA Republicans or something. Is this true? And what are the stats when it comes to domestic terrorism and hate speech and actual hate crimes across the nation? He is the author of the new book, The Seven Deadly Myths, Anti-Semitism from Christ to Kanye West. Excited to have on the program, hopefully with us here. Let's see if this works. Mr. Alex Revchin. Alex, are you there, my friend? I am. I am. Nice hey, to be with you. All right. You're coming to loud and clear. I appreciate you coming on the program, my friend. This is uh, definitely a big conversation and a big discussion because this has been, I think, in the news more so than what we've seen over the past few years. So the question I ask you to start off is, are we seeing an increase in, quote unquote, hate speech, hate crimes and anti-Semitism across the nation? Well, statistically, we certainly are. There's been uh, a sharp increase globally, not just in the United States, of anti-Semitic incidents. Uh, what's also put it in the news just in the last few weeks and months has been obviously the Biden administration announcing a, a bold new initiative to combat anti-Semitism. We had just in the last few days the verdict in the trial of Robert Bowers, who murdered 11 Jews in a synagogue in Pittsburgh in October 2018. We had the ridiculous speech given... Uh, at CUNY Law School, uh, which was filled with anti-Semitic rhetoric. So there have been a number of incidents that have brought this issue to the fore. And I think this is also on the back of Kanye West's comments, uh, his series of remarks and videos over a protracted period of time uh, a few months back, which has given this issue some momentum and brought it into pretty sharp focus in the public discourse. Yeah, well, I'm glad it's being focused on so we can try to address it. Let's talk about Kanye West for a second, because... Uh, I, I don't quite understand where he's coming from. I, I don't know if he's battling some mental health issues or what, but he's been, uh, quote unquote, off the rail for a while. And then he went after anti or he went after the, quote unquote, Jews that run the music corporations. And then he was on Alex yeah. Jones's program saying that he loves Hitler kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Where is this coming from, do you think? And why do you think he's in this mindset? So with Kanye West, uh, you know, the temptation was to kind of dismiss it as someone who's lost their marbles. And obviously when he starts saying the things that he did, and as you mentioned, appearing on Alex Jones wearing a black hood and talking about Hitler and what a great man he was, then it's very easy to make that assessment. But when you actually dig deep into what he said and the sort of accusations he leveled against the Jews, it really fits within classic conceptions of the Jews throughout history. He spoke about the Jews controlling the world, finance, government, certain industries. He spoke about the Jews as peddlers of filth and pornography. He said they were leading his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, astray. Um, you know, he was talking about Jews and money. So all the things that he was saying, they didn't come from nowhere. They're the sort of things that have been fed into the consciousness of the West over centuries and centuries and centuries. Yeah. And the way that anti-Semitism works is that in, a, in an individual or in a society, it can lay kind of dormant. And then when there's some fracture some fault line 
Um, it could be pandemic. It could be economic downturn. It could be war. It could be in the case of Kanye West, something happening in his own life that he struggles to rationalize and truly understand. He then grasps for a familiar enemy. And in this case, it was the Jew. Yeah. It's weird. We always love these identity politics conversations uh, as a nation, which I despise. I, I despise identity politics. I don't care people's skin color, gender identity or religion or people or whatever. I mean, that's why we live in the greatest nation, because we're a melting pot of everyone from around the world. And that's the yeah. beauty of that. But uh, I've never understood the fascination. And maybe you just said it because maybe people are jealous, maybe because of the ties that the community has. But why is it always the Jews? Why do people always all the way back when? I mean, all the way back to the beginning. I mean, yeah. the, the Christian community overall is very supportive of the Jewish community uh, because of the religions relative being relatively similar uh, for the most part. But why is there always this fascination and obsession with hating Jewish uh, Jewish people? So th- this is the perennial age old question. And, and you're quite right. In modern times, particularly since World War Two, there has been a great kinship that has developed between the Christians and the Jews. And a realization that Christianity stemmed from Judaism, that ideologically in terms of the morals and values of our two faiths were very closely aligned. And and that's led to a genuine reconciliation, which is a very good thing. But anti-Semitism has been around for thousands of years. And if you look at why it started, it really was a response to the fact that the Jews who were this numerically tiny, minuscule nation that lived on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and were invaded by great empires, the Greeks and the Romans and the Assyrians and Babylonians. And in each case, they refused to succumb. They refused to go away. They refused to abandon their belief in one God uh, and adopt the, the faiths and the traditions of much more dominant nations. And that led to a great deal of hostility. Few are hated so much as those that forget their lowly place. Yeah. And the fact that the Jews would not accept Christianity and Islam and maintain that their conception of God, their prophets were sufficient, also drove those new faiths to frenzy. And that placed the Jews in a position of being the enemy to those cultures and to those faiths. And after a while, it just became an instinct. You know, when something goes wrong in a society, when a plague breaks out on a continent, when a child goes missing, um, when things are difficult to explain that, that are occurring in society, the Jews are the ones to be blamed. And it, so it just becomes this kind of natural reaction after a while. It's wild. You're right. It is the enemy to some that never seems to go away. And I think that gets under their skin quite a bit as well. We're talking with Alex Revchin, the author of the book, The Seven Deadly Myths, Anti-Semitism from Christ to Kanye West. Is there, from the research that you've done and looking at hate hate speech and the uh, hate, uh, the, the all the stuff that happens to the Jewish community here in the United States especially, is there a political ideology, do you think, that more aligns with going after? I mean, I saw we saw the hate speech bill that tried to come out of Congress just a couple of years ago that was led by uh, some after some comments that were made, anti-Semitic comments that were made from Ilhan Omar being a Muslim herself and making some comments. They created a hate speech bill, and then the bill turned into, well, you can't say anything bad about the Muslim community because they're the real victims here. Uh, So we've seen kind of a trend, at least in my opinion, that's been predominantly from the left side of the aisle that's made the majority of anti-Semitic comments but now we're hearing from the Biden administration that it's all the MAGA Republicans and Trump supporters that are doing it. So from your thoughts and your research, are you seeing a, a certain political ideology that's kind of enforcing this stuff? The answer is no. The answer is that it, it comes and has always come from multiple sources. So th- there is far-right anti-Semitism, there's no doubt. Uh, there's far-left anti-Semitism of the variety that you spoke about with Rashida Tabe and Omar Ilhan. 
and they incite a great deal of hatred against Jews, particularly on the university campus and in progressive movements. We've seen groups like Louis Farrakhan's Nation of Islam spouting anti-Semitism, the Black Hebrew Israelites, which is an even more extreme uh, nationalist black sect, being very active as well and carrying out some violent attacks also. So, and of course, there's radical Islam, which kind of waxes and wanes, but it's always a threat to the Jewish people uh, and, and to all decent, moderate people. So it, it's there from multiple sources and always has been. And it's really disappointing when it does, as you say, get swept up in uh, identity politics and partisan wars and only seeing the anti-Semitism that comes from your political rivals and never addressing it within your own camp. Yeah. It's far more effective when we call out hatred and bigotry that occurs within our own movement, because that's where we can really affect change. So the fact that some are saying that it's just MAGA Republicans and all caused by Donald Trump <laughs> is not helpful. Um, no. And the fact that others will yeah. say it's purely an issue of the far left isn't really addressing the issue either. Yeah, we just need to address the issue of the hate speech, the hate crimes, and again, the identity politics altogether. Last question, we got just about a minute or so left here as we kind of wrap up, but uh, I've always been curious as well, the fascination with many of the Jewish community here in the United States not supporting the nation of Israel over there, and that may go into political lines as well, but uh, have you seen that trend as well from many of the Jewish community here in the United States? Well, I engage a great deal with the American Jewish community, and, and for the most part, the overwhelming majority of American Jews, whether they're progressive or conservative, they deeply care for the future of the state of Israel. They want to see a strong relationship between Israel and the United States. But there is a noisy minority that, again, mainly goes along with the groupthink of the far left and has effectively surrendered their Jewish identity and goes along with, with the lies and the slander that, that are thrust at Israel by the far left. Um, it's, it's a kind of defense mechanism. You side with your oppressor in order to avoid them. So mm -hmm. it's lamentable. But the vast majority of American Jews, in my experience, still have some sort of support for Israel. They may be critical of certain policies, but they still have a deep emotional and a spiritual and a practical connection to the country. That is good. That is good news. What a fascinating conversation. We need to have you back on. It's Alex Revchin, the author of the book, The Seven Deadly Myths, Anti-Semitism from Christ to, Con to Kanye West. You can find it on Amazon and other places as well. Alex, we're out of time, my friend, but let's get you back on the show again real soon. This is great. I'd be delighted. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it very much. What a fascinating conversation regarding the hate crimes, the anti-Semitism, the quote-unquote domestic terrorism that we didn't even get a chance to get into in the nation, uh, the white supremacist, quote-unquote, and how big of a threat is that really in the United States? We'll definitely do that later on on the program. All right, we've got to take a break. One more segment as we wrap up, get you set for the weekend on a Friday here on The Voice Reason. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. What a fun conversation. I enjoyed that one. Thanks again to Alex Revchin. I've always been fascinated with God, the constant hating on the Jews, man. The Jews are the problem. I've never understood that. I don't get it. I mean, obviously, as Christians, we're pretty much in line with the Jewish community, except for, you know, the one little thing about, you know, Jesus. But outside of that, we're pretty much all in line. We believe in all essentially the same stuff. I don't understand the fascination with hating on the Jew or any group. I just, 
Call me a hippie, man. Peace and love, man. Let's just all get along. I don't understand it. Because, and I guess it's hard for some individuals to be able to just put themselves in other people's shoes and understand the lifestyle that they have or how they live or whatever. And I just, I don't care. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my lifestyle. I'm going to promote my family values. I'm going to take care of my wife. I'm going to take care of my little girl. And I did. However, if anybody else does that differently, then all the power to you. Just don't tell me how to do mine. All right. We got a little bit of time. There's so much more I want to talk about the, uh, and we're running out of time here, so I can't get to all of it real quickly. The whole submarine thing is over. Thoughts and prayers to the families, obviously. The, there's a lot of weirdness that we don't have time to get into there. The fact that it had exploded, they found the remnants of it, it imploded inward. And the Navy said they saw the blip in the radar on Sunday when that happened. So they already had known it had happened. They were delayed in getting out to the search and rescue. They show up within the last 24 hours as if they were still there. And they go down and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, they imploded on Sunday and we saw the blip on our radar. A little weird there. On a fun note, to wrap up the program for the last day of the week, there is a potential fight coming up that I am really excited about. Now, this is not your average boxing match or MMA fight. This is something completely different with the potential rumor of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook getting in the octagon together. Oh, yeah. This is, it sounds like this is really happening. Uh, this, I, I don't know how, I don't know why, but it's potentially happening. And Dana White went on TMZ Sports just earlier today and confirmed that he's been in talks with both of them. I was talking to both Elon and uh, Mark last night. Both guys are absolutely dead serious about this. Now, wait, wait, wait. Can we, can, uh, how I, do you, tell us why you say that. Because they both said, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> they both want to do it. Mark Zuckerberg hit me up first and said, is he serious? And I said, I don't know. Let me ask him. I asked him and he said, yeah, I'm dead serious. You know, um, you know, obviously for, for and I agree with you, Harvey, this would be the biggest fight ever in the history of the world. Um, bigger than anything that's ever been done. It would break all pay-per-view records. These guys would raise, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for charity. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be a fight fan to be interested in this fight. You, you, everybody would want to see it. You know, you would be at the helm here. So is this something you are taking seriously? Is it something you're already trying to organize? Give us a lowdown. Yeah, I'm taking a very, Lorenzo Fertitta called me this morning. Station Casinos in Las Vegas is putting a lineup on this today. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm taking it. Listen, if these guys are serious, I make fights that people want to see. That's what I do for a living. So if, if they really want to do it and they're serious and we can figure it out and figure out a way to pull this off, I would absolutely positively do this. So that's Dana White that was on TMZ Sports just the, in the last day or so, confirming that he has talked to both Mark Zuckerberg from Meta or Facebook and Elon Musk about a potential square up in the octagon, both of them agreeing to it. The Las Vegas odds already coming out on this thing and then planning something for some type of charity event. I don't know where this came from other than the fact that I know Mark Zuckerberg is like a black belt in jiu-jitsu or something, and Elon Musk had called him out saying that he's not a good a fighter Elon Musk, I don't think, has any fighting training as far as I'm aware. Maybe he does. I don't know. But there we are. A potential big matchup between the wicked wild free speech thinker like Elon Musk and the censorship dictator of Mark Zuckerberg. Could this be the physical manifestation of the free speech versus censorship dictatorship 
going head-to-head, kind of like Rocky Three between American Freedom and Communist Russia squaring off in a sporting event. Could this be built up to that level of excellence? That would be interesting. By the way, UFC fighter Andrew Tate, who is a monster, and he's actually on uh, house arrest right now because of the things that he's done. You know, that's what fighters do. Said he's willing to fight and train Elon Musk to fight Mark Zuckerberg. Saying, Meta banned me everywhere for telling the truth about vaccines. Now we can restore honor with a strike at the enemy clan's leader. I will train you, Elon Musk. You will not lose. (laughs) Going full out UFC, MMA, uh, freestyle fighting. And this could get interesting. I would love to see Elon Musk win. Let's bring it out. Censorship versus freedom in the octagon. Square it off, baby, and let's make it happen. That does it for our show today. Back at it again on Monday, our national broadcast tomorrow. Make sure to check it out at HoosierReason.com. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. This is Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.